0: Hey, it's Jordan. We'll fire up the Chill Factory in about 20 seconds. I just launched the Chill Factory newsletter on LinkedIn. Each issue is inspired by conversations I've had here on the Chill Factory podcast and includes extras to help you, your clients, students, and anyone else you support. So subscribe to the Chill Factory newsletter on LinkedIn and see you there.
1: Teens who are depressed are about five times more likely to have parents who are depressed. Teens who are anxious about three times more likely to have parents who are also anxious. And part of this too is being able to talk to your teen about your depression or anxiety. Hey, welcome, and welcome
0: back to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful, with expert interviews, rapid relaxers, and excellent resources. I'm Jordan Friedman. The alarming rise in stress, anxiety, depression, and suicide among teens over the past 10 years or so has been something we've talked about a few times here on The Chill Factory. But it wasn't until I recently read a report on a specific aspect of this issue that I thought, duh, why haven't we been talking more about this? And then I had the thought, well, I've got to invite the report's author here to the Chill Factory to talk about it. Rick Weisbord and his colleagues at Harvard University were also talking about these trends, and they wanted to look more closely at what was going on with teens that might be contributing to this very concerning rise in mental health challenges and mental illness. But they went a few steps further and tried to understand what was going on in kids' ecosystems, in their communities, in their families, and in particular with their parents and caregivers. So they conducted a large national survey and focus groups and interviews and uncovered surprising results that call for approaches to this issue that aren't happening very much right now or at all. What they found and recommendations for what to do about it have been published in a new report called Caring for the Caregivers, the critical link between parent and teen mental health. My guest Rick Weisbord is a senior lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and the Kennedy School of Government. His work focuses on moral development, the nature of hope, vulnerability and resilience in childhood, parenting, effective services for schools and children, and the college admissions process. And he's talked about these issues in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Psychology Today, and on NPR. Rick is the author of two highly regarded education and parenting books, The Vulnerable Child, What Really Hurts America's Children and What We Can Do About It, and The Parents We Mean to Be, How Well-Intentioned Adults Undermine Children's Moral and Emotional Development. I began our conversation by elaborating on my surprise about looking at parents' mental health alongside the mental health of their kids. When I read your report, it seems so obvious that you would look at parents' and caregivers' mental health and, and the influence it is or is not having on their kids. We don't hear about it very much in the media. You hear about social media being the cause of kids' anxiety and their mental health challenges, um, or our society, the environment, other current events. So I'm so happy to talk to you because this does seem like an obvious area to look at.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I appreciate your point, and I think it is an obvious area to to look at. I think social media is part of what has caused this spike, but it's one piece in in a big puzzle, and there are a lot of other pieces as well. And, you know, one of the things we find is young adults are not doing well either. Young adults are doing much worse than teens are, actually. And parents are also not doing well. So there's been a strangeness about this narrow focus on teens and sort of trying to pluck teens out of families and understand them in isolation, rather than really understand them in families and what's happening in their families. And the dynamics between te- teens and parents, which I think are a big piece of this puzzle. So this is
0: a robust study. What stood out to you and your colleagues
1: from the results? One was the rates of depression and anxiety among among parents. Another was uh, the rates of depression and anxiety among, among young adults. Um, and that these problems are not confined to any particular ethnic group. I think the causes are different across race, class, and culture, and the consequences are very different across race, class, and culture, but, they, but these problems are across um, these groups. Another data point that, that stuck out for us is in terms of teens is the percentage of teens who lack a sense of meaning and purpose. Over a third of teens report having little or no meaning or purpose in their life, Um, That was also um, concerning to us. And a third data point is we did something a little bit like the newlywed game in our data. I don't know if you remember the newlywed game, but we asked parents to guess or to estimate the degree to which their kids experience a variety of feelings and also to make guesses about their kids' views about various things. So we asked How often do you think your kids are grateful, joyous, lonely, sad, angry, you know, a variety of feelings, but also about their views about cell phone use and um, their political views on a number of things. Then we ask teens to self-report. So we're able to see how accurate parents' guesses were about their teens. And one of the things that we found is that if there are gaps between parents' understanding of their teens and teens' understanding of themselves... Teens are more likely to suffer anxiety and depression. And the larger the gaps, the more the anxiety and the depression among both teens and their parents. And I think, you know, there are many reasons for this, and there are complex reasons, but it really spoke to the importance of parents listening to their kids, which is something we talk about a lot, but I think is a discipline and an art for parents, is to, without an agenda, to really be able to be emotionally available to teens, to approach teens with openness and curiosity, and just to listen and to absorb and to engage in problem-solving with them. Because our data does suggest that knowing your teen is going to be a big factor in both your anxiety and depression and their anxiety and depression.
0: How else can parents and caregivers use the results from your research to help their kids reduce stress and anxiety. The understanding and the taking time to learn about their kids and their issues, as you just said, seems to be really important. I wonder what that looks like in your opinion, and and what else could, could parents and caregivers do?
1: In terms of what it looks like, it, it really is a stance of openness and curiosity. It's not jumping in to try and fix the problems. A lot of teens say their, their parents try to fix problems too quickly. It's not minimizing or denying that a problem exists. A lot of teens um, also say that their parents minimize or deny It is um, a stance of openness, asking questions, asking follow-up questions, really understanding deeply the problem, and then talking to your teen, brainstorming about strategies, um, self-care strategies, how to access resources online, how to see a therapist, if that really seems appropriate, but being that kind of partner with your teen in getting help. Um, A lot of other strategies are important. You know, I think parents just need basic information about what anxiety and depression are, what triggers them. They need good information about the importance of sleep, about eating habits that um, can contribute to anxiety and depression. They need information about self-care strategies, ways to alleviate anxiety and depression, like mindfulness strategies or cognitive behavioral strategies. Um, But part of what we're saying in the report is that parents also need to take care of themselves. I mean, the one thing that happens when parents become parents, is they often become isolated and they lose friends. And social disconnection contributes to depression and anxiety in parents. So parents maintaining friendships is important. And as communities, I think we really need to think about how to support parents. Um, Both how to connect them to each other, how to get them access to good mental health resources, how to get them into treatment when they need treatment. we should have public health campaigns around these things because um, they are so important for both parents' well-being and their kids' well-being. And I would just say one other thing about this, which is that teens who are depressed are about five times more likely to have parents who are depressed. Teens who are anxious are about three times more likely to have parents who are also anxious. And part of this, too, is being able to talk to your teen about your depression or anxiety. Because one of the things this is Bill Beardsley's research, other people's research. One of the things the research shows is that when you're able to talk to your kids about anxiety and depression, when you're able anxiety and depression, when you're able to say, if I'm in a bad mood or if I seem angry or if I seem irritable, it's not about you. It's about um, my anxiety or my depression or something I'm experiencing. Kids are far less likely to blame themselves. Often when parents are irritable or angry, they, kids think teens think it's their fault and blame themselves um, and feel shame in ways that just increase their anxiety and depression. And when parents can talk about it, kids are much less likely to blame themselves, and they're also creating an opening for teens to talk about their own anxiety and depression. They're making it um, permissible. Um, to talk about anxiety and depression. And they're eroding the the stigmas and the stereotypes that we all feel about mental illness, or many of us feel about mental illness.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear because I think there are probably parents who might hesitate to share with their kids about their own mental health challenges because they don't want to load anything more on their kids who are already dealing with with a lot, so it speaks to it speaks to learning more about this issue, and we will put the caring for caregivers report in the show notes. And I really encourage uh, everyone, not only parents, but yes, caregivers and teachers and healthcare providers, to take a look at it because I think, and you emphasize this in the report, this is a community effort. There should be a public health, community health effort around this because we we all really are in it together.
1: Yes, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I, I don't think we're gonna therapize or medicate our way out of this problem. I, my point is not mainly that teens need more therapy or medication or parents need more therapy or medication. I mean, some do, and we have a terrible problem of a shortage of mental health professionals in many communities, especially rural areas, low-income areas. But I think, you know, what we really have to think about is how do we create healthy communities that really support families? How do we support parents? How do we support kids long before they parents or teens spiral into anxiety and depression? And, you know, some communities do that much more successfully than others. They are vibrant places for parents where they have access to activities and ways to connect to other parents and forms of support. Other communities do not. And we... We really need to think about, um, in our urban planning, in our healthcare planning, in our conversations with political leaders, how do we create communities that really s- promote and support families?
0: Are there other resources that come to mind that parents and caregivers
1: might take a look at around this issue? The Center for Teen Parent and Teen Communication, the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, which is run by Ken Ginsburg has good resources about communicating with teens and supporting teens for parents. So that is one place I would certainly look. The Jed Foundation has a lot of great resources around mental health and teens. That's another place I would check out. Uh, On the Making in Common website, we also have resources.
0: Children's Hospital of Philadelphia is where my life was saved. So I'm glad to...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Many, many years ago,
0: so I'm glad to glad to hear that still still going strong is a great a great
1: race yeah, still doing critical yeah. work yeah.
0: um while i have you Rick and because you are uh, one of the foremost experts in the development of moral and emotional well-being for kids are there any overarching recommendations things to be aware of that you would want parents and other listeners to know
1: yeah, I mean, I'm going to state this strongly because I believe it. I, I think we're off course in, in this country, in our parenting, that we have made su- success, achievement and happiness, the primary goals of child raising. And we have demoted caring for other people, caring for the common good, caring for justice. And that if you're trying to understand all the problems we have in the country now with loneliness, with mental health, with polarization, with hate crimes, with violence. Um, These these are all problems with many roots, but I think one big root is that we haven't prioritized concern for others, concern for the common good. And that's unlike other generations in history. Um, Our families haven't focused on it, our schools haven't, our universities haven't. Religious participation is down And whether or not you think religion is good or bad. Religious communities play very important functions in uh, raising moral kids or can, and we need to think about the functions of religion and how to reproduce those in secular life. So my big message for parents is to put front and center caring for other people in your parenting. And I think it will lead to a healthier society, a more moral and healthier society. But I also think your kids will be happier in the end, because if they can care for other people, tune into other people, have empathy for other people, they're going to have better relationships their whole life. And they're going to be better friends and mentors and parents themselves and romantic partners. And those relationships are the strongest and most durable source of well-being we have. So I think we should tell kids to be caring because it's the right thing to do. (laughs) We should tell kids to be caring to be caring. But I also think in the end, it's going to really improve our kids' well-being.
0: Beautifully said. Rick Weisbord, thank you so much. And thanks to your colleagues for all of your great work, uh, including this recent report. And I really appreciate you uh, coming by the Chill Factory.
1: Jordan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for doing what you're doing. It's great. Rick Weisbord is a
0: senior lecturer at Harvard University and the Kennedy School of Government, and we'll put links to Caring for the Caregivers and other resources he mentioned in the show notes. This episode is being posted with about 36 precious hours left of summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Over the summer, I recorded a new mindfulness track called On a Porch because hanging on a porch is a wonderful summer pastime. Now, I don't have a porch and you may not either, but here's the next best thing because guided mental imagery or guided mindfulness can produce the same relaxing effects as actually being in chill places. So, let's spend a few minutes on a porch. With your eyes open or closed, take a couple of deep breaths and relax. Now feel your head and the rest of your body recline slightly. Maybe you're in a lounge chair or in a rocking chair or on a sofa. For sure, you're resting on the porch of a house, a house that's surrounded by rolling green fields and groves of tall trees at their edges. It could be a lazy summer afternoon, or maybe daytime has
1: become evening.
0: It doesn't matter, because you're resting on this porch as an easy orchestra of sound fills the fields and trees around you. All you have to do is stay here and relax. In a few moments, you'll let these summer sounds drift away for now. This porch will always be here for you when you need to relax. As the sounds fade, slowly open your eyes. on a porch is also available on the chill factory app and you and 24 other listeners can have full and free access to the chill factory for one year from the original post date of this episode just download the chill factory from the app store and enter the password porch It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow The Chill Factory wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll know when new episodes are available. And there's always more at thechillfactory.net. And as actress Tallulah Bankhead said, if I had to live my life again, I'd make the same mistakes, only sooner.